Hello and welcome to the Transfer Window, the podcast that brings you the news before it becomes news, as well as insight and analysis into all the subjects you're talking about in football. I'm Ian McGarry, and with me, as always, is our transfer guru, um, often uh, referred to in other media outlets as the transfer expert, Mr Duncan Castles. Um, And that's because uh, just about everything he says is correct. Well, is that correct, Duncan? (laughs) (laughs) Everything is well-sourced and uh, well-researched. I think uh, our track record, or at least I hope our track record, speaks for itself. It does indeed. It does indeed. Uh, Today we have um, news for you on um, PSG, Real Madrid, uh, also on Brighton Hove Albion, as well as Arsenal, as well as Liverpool. And of course, it being the first Transfer Window podcast of the week, Hero and Villain. We're going to start with what is, of course, one of the biggest and probably the biggest transfers of this particular window, potentially, which is the move of Kylian Mbappe from PSG, probably to Real Madrid. Um, Duncan, this has been going on for a long time. Obviously, the player has one year left on his contract and uh, he appears to um, be giving, um, let's just say, a revolver to the head of um, of PSG with regards to, um, look, either you sell me now or I will simply run down my contract and then you can um, honour your uh, promise that I will never be sold um, because obviously he'd be under freedom of contract in a year's time. Um, what is the update on Mbappe? It's just a fascinating situation and it's so central to, I think, most of the stuff happening in the transfer market this summer. Um, Real Madrid want Kylian Mbappe above any other player and they've shaped their entire transfer policy around it. We reported months ago now that Mbappe... Um, would tell Paris Saint-Germain that you've got an option here. Um, You let me go this summer and make some money from the deal or I go for nothing in a year's time. And the expectation was that Paris Saint-Germain would take the former um, approach. The latest information I'm getting from the sources close to Mbappe um, as to where matters stand um, you know, paints a, a very interesting perspective on Paris Saint-Germain as a club, their ownership by Qatar, um, the way they take decisions, which is not always shaped towards success on the field. A lot of it is about pride and uh, a process of we have made a decision, we're going to go down this route. You do not tell us what we would uh, should be doing. Um, we are in control of these matters. And in Mbappe's case, um, I'm told that the offer that Paris Saint-Germain have made him to stay is not one he objects to from a financial perspective, that his decision is not about money. His decision is about a sports project. And he feels currently the way Paris Saint-Germain are set up as a club, 
that he will not win the Champions League if he remains at Paris Saint-Germain and he will not achieve his ambition to be recognised as the best footballer in the world um, to win a Ballon d'Or if he stays at Paris Saint-Germain as they are organised at present. The individual I'm told he has the biggest problems with is the sports director, Leonardo, who's in his second spell um, in charge of the football department at PSG. And basically, I'm told that Mbappe does not trust Leonardo's decisions. Um, examples that are given are the recruitment of Gianluigi Donnarumma, um, a story we broke on this podcast, uh, I think a couple of months ago now, because in Mbappe's viewpoint, Donnarumma is an unnecessary luxury. He doesn't It's not that he thinks he's a, he's a bad choice as a goalkeeper. It's just he feels that there are areas of the team that need to be strengthened, that giving the salary, the signing on fee and the commission that was involved in recruiting Donnarumma as a free agent um, narrows down the potential to work in other areas of the team that are important to, to make that balance, to make them competitive. And remember, this is a PSG team that's just lost the French league to Lille, uh, a club on a fraction of their budget. Um, also, he thinks that Kaylor Navas is a perfectly good goalkeeper. Um, he likes him as an individual. He's popular within the team structure. So again, the argument is why sign Gianluigi Donnarumma when we've got a good goalkeeper that we like playing with um, when you could be putting money elsewhere. And he, and he feels that is, I'm told, typical of decision-making of Leonardo. Another element is the coaching situation where Maurizio Pochettino is not happy with Leonardo. Maurizio Pochettino tried to get out of the club um, to get to Real Madrid, ironically, same thing that Mbappe is looking to do and also uh, got involved in conversations about going back to Tottenham Hotspur. And again, this is typical of the Paris Saint-Germain approach. Pochettino wants to leave. Leonardo and Qatar uh, exercise an option in Pochettino's contract to make it too expensive for him to leave. Pochettino then comes back even after this, petitions Qatar, i.e. Nasser al-Khalifi, the president, directly to be allowed to leave. They say no. Um, this is a club that sacks managers on a regular basis, but it seems that when the coach is un unhappy himself and asks requests to, to leave, then they dig their heels in and won't let him go, just as they've done with Kylian Mbappe. So Mbappe has told Paris Saint-Germain he wants to leave under these circumstances, and if he's not allowed to leave, he'll go for nothing next summer. But Leonardo has said publicly he will not be sold, and the... PSG's position is we don't let the player go. We retain him until the end of, of the contract. Um, that therefore changes the dynamic, not just at Paris Saint-Germain, but also at Real Madrid, where Florentino Perez wants this player, is trying to do everything to get the player, as we told you in the last podcast, has offered Rafael Varane, tried to roll him into a deal to get Mbappe out of PSG this summer and into the Madrid project. Um, but Varane has, has refused that move. So you've got this standoff where the second mo the player who was the subject of the second most expensive transfer fee ever, 180 million euros, um, wants out of the club because he doesn't feel it's well organised. And I think you have an example of, of it not being well organised in their refusal to discuss terms with them. One extra element that's relevant here is my 
understanding is that Leonardo has been removed from discussions over a new contract with Mbappe and that Nasser Al-Khalifi is doing them himself, which I think you can take as a signal again of Mbappe's mistrust of Leonardo uh, and uh, and the need to to move it to a higher level of, of club operations. You'd have to ask a question, Duncan, in these circumstances, that if the technical director of the football club has been removed from um, these discussions, clearly he's not trusted, um, at least certainly in this instance. And therefore, what is his lifespan uh, in terms of um, what's going to happen with regards to his job, etc. in one of the, as we know, richest and most prestigious clubs in European football right now? I mean, there obviously is going to be questions asked about his authority and mandate to run that club. The, the obvious solution to this problem, the logical solution, is you change a sports director who has problems in other areas as well. As I've said, there are problems with Maurizio Pochettino. Other players not entirely convinced about the way he works. There are stories of, you know, strange uh, behaviour he's engaged in when when talking to candidates um, for a coaching role uh, before Pochettino was in, involved. If you're star player and the guy you want to build a long-term project around um, alongside Neymar is unhappy with the sports direction and you have those issues with the technical director, the logical move would be to change the technical director. Ironically, probably the thing keeping Leonardo or helping keeping Leonardo in the position he's in is that that's what some of the players want. And this stubbornness that Qatar has exhibited, I think, throughout their ownership of the club, and that we make the decisions here. This is our club. This is our project. Don't tell us which way to go. We will do things even to spite our face. And, and keeping a coach against his will, and keeping a player against his will is one thing. But keeping a coach against his will is a very difficult thing to do because the coach affects the entire dynamic of the team. If he's not happy in his work and, and not working 100%, and I'm not saying that's what's going to happen with Pochettino as a professional individual, but he's made it very clear he doesn't want to be there. And, and it's hard for anyone, no matter how skilled they are in their job, to perform at the best of their abilities when they're dissatisfied with where they are. You're right. It's a very strange situation. Um, but then again, you know, we have become used to you know, what we've called in the past on the pod, FC Hollywood, um, with regards to PSG. Um, and we've also seen shades of this at Manchester City, another nation-state-owned club, obviously. Rafael Varane is an interesting subject in the basis that uh, he obviously, um, well, he has a problem with uh, renewal at Real Madrid. I don't think necessarily from what I've heard that he necessarily wants to leave Madrid. Um, however, he is playing hardball uh, and his representative certainly is as well with regards to a new contract. There is a very, very strong interest from Manchester United uh, in a player who at 28 
and with the experience that he has, um, would cost probably um, half of what they paid for Harry Maguire, um, potentially, um, in order to get him. Uh, however, it's also the case that I have been told by someone close to Varane that uh, he would definitely um, prefer to stay at Madrid um, and sign a new contract. However, the wages uh, are around £300,000 per week in terms of what he's asking for. Uh, and that is going to be the biggest issue because obviously he's at that time's career, Duncan, when he wants to earn the maximum in terms of his capacity for um, his salary demands regarding um, what he signs up to for the next four or five years. Madrid are struggling financially, we know that. We see um, how they are um, looking at uh, servicing the debt in terms of the refurbishment of the stadium at Santiago Bernabeu, uh, as well as, of course, as you've already explained um, on this pod uh, about the recruitment of Kylian Mbappe, who would cost a, a hell of a lot of money in terms of transfer fee and wages, in terms of salary as well. Um, it would be very difficult, I, I would suggest, and um, Carlo Ancelotti is in a bit of a bind here. Um, he's, he's losing, or has lost, Sergio Ramos, the captain and figurehead of Real Madrid. Um, if he lost Varane, who would be effectively, well, his other first-choice central defender, then replacing both in the current financial climate, never mind um, what those guys mean in the dressing room at Madrid, it, it, it does present a very difficult scenario for Ancelotti, who goes back for his first season and his second spell um, at the club, um, in order to build from the back, if you like, uh, and also uh, look towards um, overcoming um, both rivals Atletico and Barcelona um, next season in terms of the La Liga title. So it, it almost it's, it's almost an impossible job. <laughs> I, look, they, they, he has a top defender coming in. Um, he has David Alaba coming in and uh, Alaba on very high wages, which is part of the Varane issue. Um, Varane wants to be paid at the same level as David Alaba, 10 million euros net. Um, he feels like he has been underpaid in terms of his contribution to the club and longevity at the club. Uh, and now he has got himself in a position where he he has the leverage to extract a good deal from whichever uh, club he moves to, whether he stays to Real, stays at Real Madrid, or um, goes most likely to the Premier League, he has a very strong interest from Manchester United. That's correct. He's a player that they've pursued for well, they, they pursued him since he was in French football, and and I've had several goes subsequent at bringing him there. They they also see the opportunity to complete that deal, but are aware that it's not going to be cheap. Um, 
Florentino Perez initially was indicating a, a fee of 60, 65 million euros should he have to sell Varane. There's a feeling now that it might have to come down to 50 million euros. Um, possibility of rolling players into the deal. Um, in, in the case of Manchester United, Donny van de Beek is an option given that Madrid wanted to sign him um, before he moved to United and only didn't do that because of a lack of financial resource last summer. And then Paul Pogba, also uh, an alternative option there and a player who would like to go to Madrid and who is a problem that United have to solve. But expensive still as a transfer fee, even if it, as you say, half of Harry Maguire, you you look at the overall package and the salary that Manchester United are being asked to to fund to get Varane. It's, um, it's an expensive deal. Uh, regardless of the discount on the transfer fee. I think everyone here, and, and I, I mean Real Madrid and the clubs here he's talking to as potential suitors, are waiting to find out what his true intentions are. And throughout this process, um, the guidance I've had from, from people who are working on it is that Varane, his father and advisors are sharp. Um, they know the strength of position they have and they expected, actually predicted that they, he'd play the game this way, i.e. draw it out until the end of the season, draw it out until France had, had finished their their participation in the European Championship um, and find out what was available and how far other clubs were prepared to present offers to him and then make a decision. There is a feeling at Madrid that Actually, realistically, his preference is to stay there. And if they can get to the right um, salary figure, he will stay there. But there, there's not 100% conviction on that because he's he's played the game well. Um, and yeah, it, we're waiting to see which way he turns. And, you know, you step back and look at it from Varane's point of view. If it's Manchester United to present that offer, if it's Manchester United to say, yes, we will pay you what you want. And, and I think there's a significant if there because it a, it's a massive salary. It's not, it wouldn't be the top salary at United, but it'd be close um, to uh, and, and one of the highest paid players at the club. If they're prepared to do it and Real Madrid won't go any higher than the 7 million euros net that they, they've offered him um, a couple of months ago, is Varane prepared to finish his career at Manchester United? Because that is an unusual move. A 28-year-old at the peak of his career going from one of the great clubs in European football who are still competitive, who would expect to be competing for the title, who would expect to be competing for the Champions League, who are talking about bringing Mbappé in and, and will probably get Mbappé down the line. Um, where Mbappé, it seems his preference is to go there. To, to move to a club who have not been able to even have consistent Champions League qualification since their last great manager left them, Sir Alex Ferguson, um, who are a long, have been a long way from a title win and are you know talking about this, we should be more competitive this year even though they're, they're doing aggressive things in the market by bringing Jadon Sancho in. It, it's a step down and it, it's a step down that you don't see happening very often. 
Uh, you don't really see players moving from Spanish football to English football. You don't see players at the peak of their career moving from Madrid or Barcelona to Manchester. Um, you don't see them moving to less competitive teams. So you're banking there on either United offering so much more salary that he feels he has to go for the money or he actually really wants to experience uh, English football before he um, retires and this is a good opportunity to do it and he's been convinced that actually Manchester United are really going to be competitive now. So what do you make of the suggestion that um, Phil Jones might go as part of the deal to Madrid? in order to fill those shoes. Um, apparently, uh, United are offering a packet of smoky bacon crisps as well. Uh, I think Uli Gunnar Solskjaer would love it if he could manage to to roll Phil Jones into any deal uh, to bring his new defender in and and, uh, and sort out his Harry Maguire problem. More about smoky bacon crisps. I mean, they're quite good. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh, being a little bit flippant there. Another centre-back um, who is the subject of much discussion, Duncan, as uh, we have been discussing for several podcasts now, is the future of Ben White from Bainhoff Albion uh, with regards to a potential move to Arsenal. We've also reported exclusively on interest from Everton and Chelsea, who are to our understanding, playing a waiting game with regards to seeing if Arsenal um, realise the valuation that Brighton um, feel is correct for their 23-year-old centre-back. Um, and then uh, perhaps we'll try and gazump um, Arsenal by offering more money. What is uh, update and news on Ben White? as far as um, that move is concerned. Yeah, my understanding is that Arsenal have now made a third offer for White. Um, that offer came at the beginning of this week. They've increased the guaranteed sum to £48 million. So just £2 million short of the figure that was expected to be the, the, the amount that would trigger a, a, a transfer and, and Brighton would accept that they would allow Ben White to leave for. There's another £6 million in performance-related variables and the, the majority of those should be easily achieved as um, the majority of them are dependent on Arsenal appearances. And obviously, if you're signing a player um, at that price um, with the buy-in from the manager, in fact, Mikel Arteta is very much driving this move, as we told you. I think last week or the week before, Arteta sees Ben White as a future captain of the club and a and a player central um, to the the rebuild he's trying to achieve there. Um, so they have pretty much got to what White expected to be allowed to be sold for. Um, they are one of the still one of the big six clubs, even if they are uh, they haven't been in the big six terms of league positions for a little while now um, and Brighton's kind of un understood stance with players is if one of the top clubs come in with a very big offer you will be allowed to leave to progress your career um, however my understanding is that Brighton have yet to accept 
that offer and they've yet to make a decision on that offer. Um, they have a little bit of time, I think, before the European Championship ends and, and White finishes participation with England. Um, I think at that point, you might see um, a bit more agitation from the player's side uh, to have a decision made before he uh, prepare, takes a holiday and, and goes back for, for pre-season training. Um, I think also Brighton are aware that there is interest from other major clubs, Manchester City, who are looking for a centre-back, Chelsea, who are looking for a centre-back, Manchester United, who, as we've just discussed, are looking for a centre-back, have all had conversations and indicated interest. And as you say, um, Chelsea, uh, their stance seems to be, let us know what number you get to with Arsenal and, um, and we'll think about bettering it. Uh, which is, you know, a tactic that clubs often use in, in the transfer market. And I think Chelsea know that as a club, uh, their their status is higher at present. Obviously, they've just won the Champions League. If White moved there, he would be playing Champions League football. They are looking to build a team that will compete for the Premier League title immediately. You can't see Arsenal doing that next season. Um, so progress, but... No acceptance of an offer from Brighton as yet. And I think Brighton are still in a strong position here and can afford to uh, to play it out a little longer and see if they can sneak a little bit more money from the deal. Certainly the case, Duncan, that um, Brighton have been incredibly well supported by the club's owner, Tony Bloom, um, who continues to put his hand in his own pocket to fund the club and transfers as well. Um, as well as being able to fund the um, retention of top players like White, uh, who was given a very generous contract upgrade uh, at this time last year when he returned from Leeds United on loan. Um, I suppose that makes it slightly more difficult uh, for White in terms of fulfilling his ambition regardless of what Brighton want uh, in terms of both fee or in keeping him at the club. But at the same time, uh, we've talked before about uh, Yves Basuma, um, who has been the subject of lots of interest, including Liverpool, who are looking obviously to replace Gini Wijnaldum um, and his potential transfer out and obviously, Brighton are a club who have their own ambitions with regards to recruitment this summer, um, specifically in uh, the forward position. Uh, Neil Mopé, top scorer last season, nine goals. Um, a guy called OG, who got who was the second highest scorer. <laughs> um, I'm not sure what his actual name is. He's having a very good Euros, OG, isn't he? <laughs> he is having it. To be fair, yeah, he is, and and also seems to just float between tween teams as well, <laughs> it's as if UEFA didn't have any rules about that. Um, but yeah, it's it's one of those things, isn't it? And uh, also they have ambitions, Brighton. That is with regards to um, uh, augmenting their squad at full back, uh, both sides, as well as bringing in some pace. 
uh, in terms of the attacking um, area of the field, whether that's midfield or indeed um, up front. It's obviously, Danny Welbeck has resigned, but this is probably, and I, I you know, I think I, I think it's interesting that Graham Potter now in his third season as manager is in a position where he probably needs to um, at least authenticate his position as head coach with regards to moving Brighton away from the um, relegation zone, which is where they have occupied uh, since being in the Premier League. Um, And so um, investing in these positions, but also coaching um, a team to uh, a much more safe place come next February, March is important. When you're being offered the best part of £50 million guaranteed for a player who's had one season of Premier League football, um, albeit his rise has been stratospheric, um, and he obviously is interested in moving to a club of higher status, is going to have a significant pay rise. It's very difficult to keep a player under those circumstances when you have that work to do in the, the rest of the team. Obviously, Basuma, I think with two years of contract left, they would like to sell and had prepared themselves to sell. Um, and Basuma had strong interest from Arsenal and Liverpool based on his performances in the league. Um, numbers ex- extremely good, as well as um, you know the visual check. I think there has been an issue with Basuma in that he has something of a checkered past off the field. And um, as often happens these days, when players uh, go through uh, further checks after they've been through the analytics filter and the, and the, uh, the on-field um, observational test, clubs can, can get more sceptical or more careful about doing a deal. Which means, or which could mean, that Brighton, this is the big pot of money that's available to them this summer. Um, but on the other hand, they know Arsenal want this player badly. They know Mikel Arteta wants this player badly. That's three offers and three very significant offers. So if you're, um, you know, a, a canny market operator, and Tony Bloom is certainly that. Um, I think it's not surprising if he he lets it run a little bit longer just to see if there's more money to be squeezed out of the deal. Indeed. Liverpool, a club who have been much praised for their tactical um, manner of recruitment uh, in terms of the players they have signed and indeed the players who have become very successful as a result of moving to Anfield, um, are actively trying to sell some of the players who didn't work out quite so well, Duncan. And you have news on one of those players and where he might be ending up. Yeah, so an update on what we talked about in the last podcast about Marco Gruich, um, who has demonstrated himself to be a very accomplished midfielder um, over the last three seasons when he's, he spent all of those on loan from Liverpool the first two in the Bundesliga with Hertha Berlin, this last season in Porto. Um, 
an interesting deal that and that Porto did the deal on the final day loan deal on the final day of the summer window uh, didn't put an option to buy in the deal probably because they didn't have time to negotiate that um, he scored over those three seasons and he had a bit of an adaptation process when he moved to to Portugal it took him a little bit of a while to get into Sergio Conceição's team he scored 11 goals from 74 league appearances which is a, a very solid return for a central midfielder 25 Serbian international he has two years left of contract at Liverpool so this is basically their last chance to get significant money for him they know there's a market there they know Porto want to sign him but there's a feeling that their asking price in a Covid market of 20 million euros is steep um, my understanding from you know sources close to Gruich is that he he would see 10 million euros as being a more realistic fee. Porto, as I said, would like to sign him, but they have other priorities. They have to get a striker in first. Um, and like most clubs, need to, to raise money to get deals done. Um, interestingly, there is competing interest in Portugal for Gruich. So Sporting, who took the Portuguese title off FC Porto last season winning uh, the, the title really unexpectedly uh, Sporting had been out of, of serious competition for the title for some years and uh, going into the season I don't think I spoke to any experts in Portuguese football who were thinking that Sporting would would uh, would take a title off Porto and Benfica that year Benfica having invested a huge amount in, in Jorge Jesus um, Sporting, I am told, have contacted Gruich um, and sounded them out about a move. And I believe that that is something that uh, would appeal to the Serbia midfielder if Porto aren't able to do a deal. And it's definitely a plus for Liverpool. Um, we've just been talking about Brighton playing the English market. Liverpool want to maximise their their money on this deal they've actually been pretty clinical uh, in handling players like Gruitsch who they've brought in seen, the, seen their talent um, seen their abilities discovered that they don't really fit the Liverpool system but want to maximise their, their financial um, return on, on them um, it's good for them to have two uh, rivals for the for the Portuguese title competing for the signing of the player although I doubt that either of them will go to 20 million euros to, to sign him He doesn't look like a 20 million euro player to be honest but you know stranger things have happened as we know in football with regards to uh, transfers and what clubs will pay uh, for someone who they believe will better their team Speaking of bettering their team, Duncan, it is the first podcast of the week and uh, we will better someone's team by proclaiming our hero and villain of the week. I will ask you first to give me your hero and then I will absolutely denounce the villain. <laughs> hero of the week um, is Kasper Schmeichel, a Denmark goalkeeper, who um, in the press conference ahead of Denmark's European Championship semi-final against England was asked by an English journalist about its coming home 
and uh, was asked, what will it mean to you guys to stop it coming home tomorrow night? And, and I'd urge you to watch the video on this and, and examine the look in Schmeichel's face uh, when the question is put to him um, and, and then enjoy the response, which was, has it ever been home? I don't know. Have you ever won it? Um, as, as one commentator on that uh, video on social media put it, um, the Schmeichel family alone has more European championships than the entirety of England. Very true. His father, of course, was part of that uh, famous victorious um, Denmark team who um, won the championship in 92. And um, uh, after being invited at a very late stage, and remember, Michael Laudrup, their most famous player, decided he'd rather stay on the beach then come back and play in the tournament. Uh, and his brother Brian ended up with a, a winner's medal. So, um, you know, as Jim White once said, Brian Lodrup, how are you so good? Um, my villain of the week is going to be Alvaro Morata uh, for the fact that he could be hero if uh, he had scored that penalty um, against Italy. Uh, but instead, uh, he scored a goal, which equalised for Spain in their semi-final, um, but then missed uh, quite dreadfully, actually. Um, I'm, you know, I won't apologise for saying that I don't think anyone should ever miss a penalty. I mean, it's one shot from 12 yards. Unless the goalkeeper makes an outrageously good save, then you should always score. But then that's the striker's mentality in me, so... Uh, so Morata for me is the villain, and as my uh, youngest son said, uh, Dad, he's also he's also got Lego hair. <laughs> work, work that one out for yourselves. I've, I've, I'm not, I think that just means it never moves, but you know, um, but that might make him a villain as well. Um, this has been the news before it becomes news on the Transfer Window podcast. Uh, please uh, engage us on our social media channels uh, at Transfer Podcast on all the usual uh, platforms, as well as you can find us on YouTube. Uh, also, Duncan is at Duncan Castles. I'm at Garbo SJ. And we look forward to um, entertaining you and informing you again later in the week with the next pod until then uh, enjoy the euros and stay safe be well and thanks for listening hey.